Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, a card-sharp and con artist about to get roped into the biggest job of my career. With me again is my good friend and 40K coach, a friend and fellow ex-con about to lead the heist of a lifetime for our little band of 11. He is the Danny Ocean to my rusty Ryan, Mr. Michael Costello. Mike, how's it going? Good, thank you, Dave. Um, I only got that reference because you said the words that are in the title of the movie. Well, you know, I, I, I so, uh, wanted to make it easy. You, you, have you, have you not seen that movie? <laughs> A long time ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But do a rewatch, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Fully recovered from LVO and uh, the jet lag that preceded it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure yours was. I know uh, Steve had um, some some challenges getting over jet lag, mm. and I think you mentioned in our group chat that you did too. Yeah. I think everybody did. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I had jet lag, and I only I, I went less than half the flight distance that you guys did. So, yeah, it turns out um, going forwards in time was a bit of a struggle compared to going backwards. Yeah. So, all right, but today, and we're actually going to talk all about uh, the the joys and fun that we had in Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to do a full LVO recap today. Uh, but first, we got to acknowledge our sponsors. First, uh, thank you, Siege Studios, for your continued uh, support. If you need anything commission painted, uh, look no further than Siege Studios. Check them out on Instagram, and don't uh, forget to go to their website and look at their uh, tuition page so you can see when they've got classes coming up and uh, how to schedule a one-to-one with James or any of the other great artists there. We also need to thank The Outpost. Uh, they are a local, uh, local if you're in the UK. Game shop. Uh, you can find them online also at the-outpost.co.uk, uh, and they also have a. Apparently, they've got a running um, inventory, so you can look online to see what they've got in stock and what they don't. Yes. So you can yeah. you can order it. You can go in, pick it up. That's very convenient. Um, and we got to thank our last newest sponsor, Color Forge. Uh, you can check them out online at thecolorforge.com. Uh, for people in the U.S. that don't forget to add the U because it's a Brit company. So they spell color a little differently than we do. So it's C-O-L-O-U-R-F-O-R-G-E. Uh, you guys spell it the correct way, I guess. Um, I suppose, yeah. So that's that's like Steve the entire time we were driving around Vegas kept telling me I was driving on the wrong side of the road. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So anyway, to please check out all of our sponsors. They are fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, VT announcements, competitive 40K podcast, community Facebook page, password is still Karn. Uh, because we're a little behind on um, on running our episodes out because I've been really busy. Uh, We're not going to change it for this month. So February, we're going to go all the way through February. It's still going to be Karn, K-H-A-R-N. Remember, no password, no answering questions, no entrance. Um, Academy is in progress right now. um, I think they're right around week six or so, five or six. Uh, I think a fair bit further than that. Uh, I think we're actually reaching sort of maybe the, the eight, nine, ten sort of region. Okay. Um, I'll trust you. Yeah. Because you run that. So we started in December. So. Uh, oh, that's right. I always think you guys were going to start in January, but okay. All right. So anyway, so, so the Academy doors will be reopening in a few weeks. So keep, if you have not yet signed up for the Academy, keep an eye out um, and you want to join. I absolutely encourage it. Um, not because I make any money off it because I don't, it's just, it's a very solid experience. Um, and uh, upcoming events, I'm not going to anything, I don't think, till July. I've got such a booked calendar for the next couple That's of months. Fair. Sean and I are not doing any events. You are going, what's your next event? Uh, I have a team event, actually. So um, we're attending a team event, I think it's called the ITT over here uh, in the UKTC. 
uh, and it's in um, Northampton. And I'm attending it with Stephen, um, obviously as captain. Uh, we've got Ben Jones, um, uh, Jack Downing, uh, myself, and we've got James Ramsey, um, who recently joined us last year as well. Uh, so it's going to be a very solid team, and I'm really, really looking forward to it because team events are always fun. Um, awesome. Yeah. Can you, can you say which uh, faction you're running? I suspect so, because by the time this comes out, it'd probably be so close to the time everybody knows anyway. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll be running the Astra Militarum um, off the back of a successful RTT um, recently. So looking forward to them. Very powerful. Steve, I believe, is running some form of World Eaters, which is very, very exciting. Um, and we hope to see him do well with those. Uh, Ramsey is running Gene Sealer Cult. Um, always an enigma in a team event because nobody really knows how to deal with them. Oh, yeah. Um, ben Jones, the Inari, um, fresh off his, obviously, his LVO finish um, at 6-1, and one, which is incredible. Um, and then Jack Downing with his uh, Dark Angels Ravenwing build. Uh, super fast, lots of speeders. Very good uh, in Arcs of Omen. Yeah, his his build was good at LVO, and then with Arcs of Omen, it, Jack's list got even better. So yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a solid lineup. So, uh, and I know Steve's really excited. He's been if you don't follow him on Instagram, you should because the pictures he's been putting up of the stuff he's painting looks fantastic. Angron, I don't know if he's going to run Angron, but the his painting on Angron is fantastic. Yeah, weirdly enough, Steve knows how to paint muscles. I mean, you know. I guess you know, do what you do what you know. You know, stick to what you know. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I'm really good at painting pages and books. I guess I, I don't know, but <laughs> who knew? Um, all right, so um, that's it for upcoming events, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Please like, share, subscribe, leave us a five star review. Uh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Steve's on Instagram at, at the Vanguard Tic- Tactics. Uh, Mike is on there at, at VT underscore Mike underscore. Uh, and I'm on there, of course, at, at Infantry Lawyer 40K. Uh, don't forget to go to www.vanguardtactics.com to get more information about the Academy. And don't forget to go to YouTube and check out all the Vanguard Tactics stream games, other content there. Uh, did you guys do another boarding action stream game this week? Last week? Um, no. No, we haven't had boarding actions for a bit. Um, oh, okay. We're a little behind on that um, due to Steve having to travel around a lot. Um, but we will get it in uh, eventually, yeah. We're looking at doing a few more boarding actions because the new Angron book is out, uh, which brings in a bunch of stratagems and stuff focused on boarding actions for yeah. world eaters and things. So that'd be exciting. Very cool. All right. So with all that, um, let's talk LVO. So um, cue, cue um, uh, Frank Sinatra music uh, as we all <laughs> rolled into Vegas. You guys got there a couple of days early and did a little sightseeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Thursday night, we obviously had, uh, of that week, we had the VT workshop, which was fan friggin tastic. Yep. Um, it was, there was a full house too. We had taken, how many, do you know what the full 42. enrollment was? 42. 42. There 42, 42 people at the workshop. Like 5% of the entire attendees at LVO. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. Like meeting everybody was great. Um, all the students got on well, telling us how, you know, how much it helps having those few um, minutes or hours, uh, well, hours uh, of practice with the terrain on the boards. Um, and, you know, even even the coaches, I think, like myself, got a lot out of it because we looked at each of the different terrain sets at LVO because, by God, there was a variety. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, LVO, I mean, uh, uh, 
Frontline is starting to phase out some of the older terrain sets that they had from that have frankly been around for a decade plus and mm. bringing in new sets. We even got to a couple of us got to try out the new table, their newest stuff that I don't even think is on the website for sale yet, but the new Sisters of Battle terrain mm. uh, sets, which are gorgeous and I think are some of the most functional they've come out with. The Chaos stuff's cool, um, but it has that weird, one of them has the weird arch thing and it's, you, there's, there's, you know, so you look at it, it's a little, how are we playing this? Mm. Whereas the Sisters of Battle terrain, you look at it, you know exactly how it's supposed to be played. You know exactly what you're getting when you when you step up to it. I think it's the best train they've ever made. So I have to agree. I I loved that. Did you? How many games did you get to play on that table uh, during the event? Uh, you know, I actually didn't. Um, uh, I think I got repaired just before I was actually going to be on the table. I was looking at the table and uh, and I was like, this is this is solid functional terrain. Actually, this yeah. is so much better than any of the other sets. Um, and I look forward to playing on it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, I know Matt Laura at least definitely got to play on it because yeah. he was on because they used that terrain for the stream game and when Matt played uh, against Scary, mm-hmm. um, I think it was round four or five, um, yeah. they were on stream for that. So um, it's fantastic terrain, loved it. Um, so the workshop went really well. Everybody was real positive walking out of it. Um, mm-hmm. I also love the workshop because you meet people that you wouldn't otherwise get a chance to meet and talk to a little bit and just sort of, you know, hundred percent. Just walk through. You're you're walking through. It is. It's something that a lot of us, I think, need to do more of. Just in our garages or game yeah. rooms or whatever, or yeah. when you practice at your FLG. Yeah. Um, just set up the terrain and talk, and then set up your objective, set up your mission, do your deployment, yeah, and then strike it and re- and redo it. And you learn just from that because so much of the game is decided in deployment, even without player place terrain. Yeah, and, so. and that will become evident when I talk about. Uh, some of my games at LVO as well. Yeah. So, um, and obviously if you want to, um, anybody who is interested, if you know, you can go online and I think if you've got a BCP subscription, you can go check out at least, you can't see lists unless you pay for it, I think, but you can at least see your, um, you can go see people's win loss records and all that. Uh, Steve ended up going six and one, five and one, five and one. Steve went five and yeah. one. Um, you went five and one. Yeah. Um, Jake went, I think, four and two. Jack went five and one. Four and two, I think Jack went. Oh, is Jack four and two? lucky in one of his games, yeah. Okay. Um, um, ben, six and one. Ben went six and one. He got into the, fir- he got into the mm. shadow round. Mm. Um, and then... Matt, uh, Laura was five and one, I think. Matt was five and one. And then Chris was, I think, four and two or three and three. Josh Birding, one of our students, went five and one. Oh, great. Incredible showing, yeah. Very cool. Um, and then, of course, Mike Porter... Um, yeah, Mike Porter made it all the way to the show. The final, yeah, amazing. Yeah, he went he went eight and one, and it was just phenomenal. Mike just played out of his skin on some of those games. So yeah, um, yeah. So it was a it was a very good weekend for for VT. Mm-hmm. So I was real proud to be there. Um, and it, for those who uh, care, my my wife went two and four, and I went one and five. But this I is care, what happened, Dave. I care. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, but that's what happens also when you walk into, on my part anyway, when you walk into LVO and you've had exactly four <laughs> games with your list before yeah. you walk into it. So I was not expecting to do anything. I went, I was there to hang out with with the team and to get some games in and that was it and have a good time, which I succeeded at doing. I yeah. I was hoping to go two and four, but one and five eh, is what it is. Um, especially when round one, you get paired into the Thousand Suns player from uh, Team Spain. 
who mm. just mortal wounds spammed me right off the table. But we'll get into all, all that. So my games were not really worth discussing because I was still trying to figure out how my list operated. So um, we don't we won't burden us anybody with that. But uh, let's talk about your your game. So round one, um, you uh, what you I forget what you played into round one. Uh, I played into Empress Children. Is it worth that's briefly right. covering the list and the Death Watch? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. We're first, we got to. We I skipped over the the fundamental part of you were playing Death Watch. Yeah. See, I knew that, and I forgot that they don't know that. You, I knew that. So you were playing yeah. Death Watch. How yeah. similar was this to the list that you took last year? Um, at LVO. So I didn't actually go to LVO last year. Oh, that's right. Uh, no, I'd be at, uh, at recent events. Yes. Yeah. At, at recent events last year, where I was taking. Um, Death Watch at big events like um, LGT. Um, we had the Army of Renown come in after LGT, um, and then the list sort of really leaned into it, and I, I won a few events with it um, and placed. Uh, I think I got up to fourth, basically, in the UK rankings um, with basically Death Watch, which is pretty incredible last season. And then I brought it back for LVO, and I was like, this is one last chance to to use the army. Um, but essentially. Uh, it has a watchmaster in there who's like the chapter master guy for the Death Watch. Uh, we've got a chaplain on bike who's upgraded to do his litanies on the 2+. Plus, um, and he's got a, a relic to teleport to him as well during the game. Um, and then a librarian who has sort of a power for a 5-up feel no pain, 5-up shrug, uh, and another power for a fights first and, and bonus to hitting combat. And then um, we had five kill teams. So it's literally, it's just three characters and five kill teams. Uh, one kill team was um, Hellblasters and Intercessors. Another kill team was a big brick of Gravis armored space marines. So five heavy intercessors, four aggressors, and an interceptor. Um, and then we had three units, pretty much all the same, with a lot of Thunderhammer attacks coming out of it. Um, and they were the Proteus kill teams. Uh, so I think there were at least four hammers in the unit. But a biker, a jump pack guy, a Terminator, a Black Shield, a Captain. If you're familiar with Death Watch on the competitive scene, you've probably seen the list uh, around. And I'm honoured that wherever I see these kill teams, people refer to them as Costello-style kill teams. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to say. That's that's what I re, <laughs> what I started referring to as the Costello kill teams uh, yeah. last year when I was running uh, Death Watch the last half of last season. So yeah. uh, that is absolutely the Costello kill team. It's the Watch Sergeant. Who may who probably has a thunder hammer um, mm-hmm. and a storm shield or thunder hammer chainsword? Do as you see fit. A black shield with a thunder hammer and a chainsword because then he gets five attacks. Mm-hmm. Four other um, regular prote- uh, regular death watch yeah. veterans, and then I had two terminators in mind with thunder hammers and storm shields. The mm-hmm. vanguard vet and the biker because that gives you fall back and shoot and fall back and charge. Yes, yep. with straps. Yeah. yeah, mine was pretty much the same. I just had lightning claws on one of the Terminators, mm. um, and a big hammer on the Vanguard vet. But otherwise, oh, you gave, the the, uh, you gave him the you gave him the the heavy the heavy hammer. hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, inspired a little bit by an, another player, Death Watch Michael Clan- Clangby. Um, so yeah, just thought I needed a bit more punch in there. Uh, yeah, and that was the way to go. Very cool. So yeah, that is um, those. Li- so your list was was something you were already very familiar with. It's something you did mm-hmm. very well with in the twenty twenty one season. Yeah, when you were ITC Death Watch Player of the Year, yeah. so something you you went in you you did the opposite of me. You you played something you were familiar with. Yes, <laughs> so yes. so that was solid. Um, and you ended up going five and one. And so first round you got paired into Emperor's Children. Yes, yeah, Abaddon. Um, and then because obviously he's best friends with the Emperor's Children, 
uh, and then the rest of the Empress right. Children list. <laughs> Was was uh, was a bad and walking some dogs on this one too, or no? No, no, no dogs in this one. Um, so it was just the ten Terminators, the Prince, the um, Dark Apostle, and the Master of Possession. A couple of possessed units, uh, and I think three, four, maybe five Noise Marine units with the the um, Blastmaster uh, in each squad, uh, and that was pretty much the list. A pretty standard meta uh, Empress Children list. Um, unfortunately. And this is where that practice of preparation we were talking about came in. Uh, he did not deploy his terrain very well. Um, and in fact, none of his terrain was actually on his objectives. Oof. Which is, I mean, some of it was, but not in a way that could benefit him. Um, right. So that, that was a real problem uh, and then from the get-go. Uh, so he deployed his big brick of Terminators and Abaddon sort of in one corner of the map. So I kind of just fought on the other side. Uh, and denied primary, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and got points uh, consistently throughout the game. Basically, left Abaddon and the Terminators out of it until turn four or five. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, if you uh, of your of the units that you had, which was mm-hmm. your okay? First off, how many of your units did you routinely combat squad? Um, just the Hell Blasters and the Intercessors. So okay. Everything else stayed together. Okay. Um. Did you in any of your games use the Death Watch stratagem to deep strike a a unit that you wouldn't normally get to deep strike? Uh, no. No, not okay. before the game. No. So thankfully with the Army of Renown, you get a stratagem where you can put a unit up in the sky and then come back down. Um, but I found oh, okay. that I didn't really have any opportunities to do that. I may okay. have done it once with the Hellblasters during the event. Okay. And because uh, that, was, that was one of those things I always was sort of playing with when I was doing mm. death watch last year. I, cause I had two redemptors on my list. So I was uh, every yeah. once in a while, I would deep strike one of the redemptors in, but yeah, um, two mixed results, but uh, all right. So, um, and this sort of illustrates the point that with player place terrain, and this is what we went over heavily in the workshop, mm. knowing how to place the terrain is its own sort of mini game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing that, cause he, he complained quite a bit, sadly about the player place terrain uh, concept especially after we'd already set it up and towards the end of the game um and also played on a clock i played every game on a clock that's just a a a rule i give myself whenever i go to a two-day event um and he couldn't couldn't really deal with it i think he felt the pressure way too much um and obviously playing on a clock is a pretty normal thing uh competitively obviously you know listeners that might seem intimidating playing with a clock but um, that's why you know we have all sorts of videos and, and lessons on dealing with it. Honestly, it, it actually helps you. Don't know how you feel, Dave, about having a clock, but I find it actually helps me. It calms me down uh, yeah. when I'm playing a game. Um, I, I would agree because the I mean the first couple of times I played on a clock, I first off I just forget you just keep forgetting to switch it over back and <laughs> forth, and unless you're familiar with playing with a clock, you just all of a sudden you look over. It's like, wait, why why does my opponent have you know, an hour left and I only have five minutes. We've been, we've, we've been playing back and forth because you've got to switch the clock back and forth, but that's just practice. That's just, you know, two, three, four games playing on a clock. You'll remember, Oh, I got to switch the clock over. You'll get past that. And it's fine. And then once you get to that point of comfort of just knowing when to switch it back and forth, Mm -hmm. you, you are not stressed in a competitive environment. Oh God, I wonder how much time T.O. How much time left? T.O. How much time left? You're not worried about that stuff. Exactly. And there are those, I have had games where I've been either, intentionally or even if my opponent was just being negligent about it negligently slow played 
you know, mm-hmm. West, I mean, especially if you walk up and you see somebody's playing guard, an infantry heavy guard list, or they're playing, you know, rack spam, or they're playing something, anything where they've got a hundred plus models, gene stealer cults, whatever, that they're going to be moving hither and yon. And you know, their movement phase is going to take 30 minutes plus. Mm. Put them on a clock because you don't want, it's just fairness to you. I played every game on a clock at LVO because I wanted to be fair to my opponents because I knew I didn't really know my list and I didn't want to short them on time. Now, fortunately, yeah. I never clocked out, but um, but it's just, a, it is a, it is as much keeping you honest and being fair to your opponent as it is keeping them honest. Yeah. So um, I, I, I absolutely advocate for playing on a clock, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I found that, you know, knowing that you have your own time slot means you can at the start of every turns just take a deep breath and think, okay, what do I do this turn? It's not like you know your opponent's taking quite a bit of time, but there's no clock, so you instantly feel like you need to just get on with it in case you don't get your last turn in. Um, you just you, you know you have this set amount of time. You can really just take it. And you know, likewise to any of my opponents that wasn't that familiar with the clock, I'm always like, look, you know, you've got all of this time. But honestly, you're going to be fine. You don't need to stress about it this much. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, but I I agree. Anytime you're going to go to even use one on an RTT is just to practice yeah. being uh, if you're not familiar with it. Once you get to the point of you're good with a clock, then maybe at RTTs you skip using it because it's more casual. Yeah. But for two day events, sure, most of the time it's kind of standard to be on a clock. Buy your yeah. own clock. It's like ten fifteen dollars pounds on yeah. Amazon, and yeah. it's very inexpensive. And I've never even had to change the batteries in mine once yet, and I've had it for uh, two years. Say. Yeah, I even advocate students using clocks during casual games um, yeah. because it it helps them make the most of their evening instead of spending, you know, six hours trying to play one game. You spent your three hours and you can spend the rest of the time chatting or doing something else. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, End of the story, use a clock. It, they, they're yes. great. I'll, I'll just say use a clock. And then to go to our other tangent that we jumped off on, um, if, you, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with Player Play Strain and your event's using Player Play Strain, learn it to practice it do do some setups and and breakdowns you know and go to a vt workshop if you can i don't know when the next one when you guys are going to do the next one in the uk but i don't know um i'm sure you guys will have another one coming up in a couple of months so um but yeah so it usually playing on a clock is a good thing understanding the terrain um and if you don't if you're not doing player place terrain obviously look at your player pack a couple days in advance so you can start thinking it through um yep. lgt and a lot of other events here in the U, U, uh not lgt but uktc ter- terrain is very specific gw terrain is very specific mm-hmm. so all right so going back to your games round one you went in emperor's children he kind of he had some player place terrain issues and then he misdeployed yes. his terminators so that you were able to basically ignore them for most of the game yeah um and then some of the game uh hell with hell blasters were actually mvp for me um because he didn't have enough places to hide and his noise rooms were always shooting me the Hellblasters over the course of the game actually picked up 20 Noise Marines um, themselves. Uh, yeah. So they were absolute, you know, AP5, 2 damage, 15 shots. Uh, they, they were crazy in that game. Um, and we did win the game in the end, 91 to 65. Yeah. Um, and, the, and for five Hellblasters to pick up 20 Noise Marines, that, that's some efficiency right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I did love me my Hellblasters too. Yeah. Um, all right. So then round two, you got a you got a rough pairing because you got paired up against Nassim Fushain. Yeah. Um, and his Tau. Yeah. Yeah. This was probably the, one of the most disheartening moment 
of uh, the LVO with yeah. seeing this parent pairing come up. Uh, but then I'm the kind of guy who just accepts accepts it. You know, it is random. Like, yeah. sure, of all the 960 people, I didn't think that this would happen. <laughs> especially it, round two. Especially round two. Um, but it did. Um, and I know that this matchup is, is not going to be a good one for my army. Um, Tau, during the LVO season, and now, to be fair, uh, it's still a very strong army. And uh, especially on that terrain set, um, it's very difficult to stop them unless you really, really have the tools. Uh, and I built my army to be able to take on basically everything but Tau. Um, so I was hoping to face, you know, even Thousand Sons of Flamers, um, but sadly uh, got Nassim around too. And obviously Nassim's a great player um, and has a lot of experience using Tau at the highest level. So Yeah. And he was running the double bomber, double Riptide, and then a large crisis team. So he had all of the tools there that were the sort of the bane of the last half of last season. Mm-hmm. So um, he's his list is the reason that aircraft just got the nerf bat with yeah. arcs of omen. Yeah. So not, not Nassim himself personally, but that list, because that list became very ubiquitous yes. um, for the last three to four months. So, um, yeah. yeah. So um, very strong list and it seems a great player. So you guys yeah. had a good game at least. I'm we assuming. Um, yeah, actually it was, a, it was a, probably one of the, the best games, maybe the second best game of all of them in terms of uh, player understanding each other clarity and um fair play um you know Nassim was actually uh, very nice to play against um and there was a lot of respect going on so um shout out to Nassim for such a great game um awesome yeah i've i've never yeah. met Nassim i've heard good things about him from other people obviously his he's fairly well known because he did so well you know last season and season mm-hmm. prior so um so okay so you had a good game against him that's good and yeah. the final score on that was 96 to Nassim and 57 to you that's right. Yes, and I, and I remember I I went and found you right after round two, and you just looked <laughs> very disheartened. Oh, yeah, you know it's like yeah, biggest event in the world, six rounds to it. The chances of having to play that one matchup that you you can't win um, is is tough. Um, yeah. and to be honest, there were quite a few moments where the seams dice spiked. Um, for example, a sunshark bomber blew up in the middle of my army. Um and killed my librarian. Ouch! Uh, well, it hit about six different squads. Mortal wounds because I combat squatted the entire army, to, so I could play a trading tactical game. I went yeah. into the game trying to just get points, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the Tau bomber blew up in my lines. Um, and then he really spiked his four up invun saves on a crisis team when I went in, uh, and that sort of sealed the deal. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was happy to get fifty-seven points out of it though, because I think that kind of matchup is can be a lot rougher. Um, yeah, the 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 Tau list that Nassim was running, that list functions by taking you completely off the table by turn three. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you you know you you your reaction to that at the when you and I talked at the end of round two yeah. um, was much like my feeling after my round one, which was just a well, I didn't have any models left at the end of turn two, so you know it was just a bad matchup. There's nothing you can. There's just some bad matchups mm. right now. Mm. So, and I think that's maybe the next thing that GW has to address is certain armies having no play into certain other armies. Yeah. Well, we had a so. joke about the game in the, uh, that I was his longest game, I think apart from his, the, the last game that he lost. Oh, um, yeah. Because obviously that kind of list can table people in two turns. Right. Um, absolutely savage. Uh, yeah, I think um, probably the biggest lesson from that game 
actually, just to take away from it, because obviously you learn a lot from your losses. Um, I put a container on the middle objective, which against a shooty army might seem absolute nonsense. Um, but the containers at LVO are tall enough to hide a small unit of Marines. And it actually caused Nassim all sorts of issues trying to get line of sight on the central objective with my guys on it. Oh, okay. Um, and then I did manage to pick two other pieces of terrain that did have line of sight blocking walls. Um, so that's how I managed to stay in the game with most of my units until about turn three or four. Um, yeah. But yeah, good game. Okay with the score, to be honest, uh, for a loss against an yeah. army like that. All right. Um, but cool. yeah, we move on, unfortunately. And then you moved on to round three where you played into what? Disciples of Bellacor. Oh, uh, there we go. Demons. Yeah, so Mike Pestilence is actually a name I've heard before. Uh, and I've read a few of his Chaos uh, reviews because he predominantly plays Chaos armies. Uh, and obviously I love Disciples of Bellacor. I really want to use them um, yeah. when I have time. Um, and I, know, I know, knew that this was going to be a good game. He's a very, very um, cerebral player, uh, Mike, actually. Um, and he told me afterwards that he does a lot of poker and everything. So I was kind of like, I could see the, the all the maths going on and, and the decisions he's analyzing. Um, unfortunately, we played Data Scry Salvage and uh, with an army like mine that is all obsec. Yeah. Um, it, it started to become really tough for Mike to hold objectives. Um, and there were flamers in there, but the army's built to actually take flamers on. Um, because you know, of all the, the melee. Because of the melee, but also getting a two-up save against a lot of the Flamers shots. So in cover, with Armor of Contempt, remember, um, my Terminators get a two-up save against the Flamers. Yeah. And then the Gravis squad, what I'd done is I'd upgraded the Sergeant to have um, Artificer Armor and an extra wound. Oh. So he had a base two-up save, which meant in cover he's got a two-up against Flamers. But there's also a stratagem for Gravis to have plus one to your save against damage one. Right. So even in the open, that big squad has a two-up save against Flamers. Um, so in this game, the Flamers dropped in, they shot, they did a couple of wounds, and then very swiftly I tried to get rid of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. Yeah. Um, was Bellacore something that you would just... You you were like, oh, I got to take him off the table early, or did you just sort of ignore him until it was convenient to take him on? So, um, fortunately, Mike was quite familiar with my Death Watch army and the Renown and what it does. Um, there is a stratagem, as you know, Dave, um, uh, and any other Death Watch players will know, where you can turn your hits into wounds. Yes. Um, and so I had I started the game with three CP with this list, uh, four in turn one. Uh, and what that means is that three command points i can get my big gravis brick with its 60 59 69 shots um to auto wound on their hit rolls and then i can get them hitting on twos with full rerolls etc stuff um right. and obviously that versus bellacore means a dead bellacore right um and so mike was fully aware of this and so bellacore kind of spent a lot of time dancing around at the back until i didn't have enough cp and i didn't use the strap um, I simply used it as a threat projection to keep Bellacore out of my face. Um, Got it. Because once he did get in, obviously he did kill stuff. He right. He was in Vuns and all sorts. Right. That's what Bellacore does. If he can get to range, yeah. he will die. But yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So then you won that game 94-57 and that mm -hmm. closed out day one. Yep. And then we all went out to team dinner. And yeah, we did. Yep. 
and then, oh, we also, I got to, for the people in the US, or at least the Western half of the US will appreciate this. On in, on day one, after round one was obviously our lunch break. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when I ran out and picked up and introduced the all of the UK members of our team, which is everybody but me and Shauna, um, everybody to In-N-Out Burger. And went out and picked up burgers for everybody. And um, I think you you stated you were a convert to the joys of In-N-Out. I am, yes. Anytime yeah. I go anywhere in the US um, on the West Coast, I will yes. try and find an In-N-Out burger now. Yeah. Anywhere basically from Texas West, which is, you know, the Western half of the US, you should be able to find an In-N-Out burger. So uh, we also, as a side note about food, um, I have got... Uh, Jake is dying to now take a trip to Chicago because I was selling him on the joys of uh, Chicago hot dogs and, and Chicago deep dish style pizza. So he just wants to experience these things. So I okay. think when we need to, we need, what we need to do is not obviously this year, but maybe in 2024, we need to have a team. Uh, the team needs to come out for Adepticon, which is in Chicago. And then um, yeah, I'm down. get you guys. Yeah, Chicago we sounds really good. That's one of the places I'd love to visit. Yeah, it's a gorgeous city and I've been there a few times. It's a gorgeous city and uh, they have some very, um, some very cool things to see and some really good food. So anyway, um, and also I just realized I'm talking about this because I haven't had breakfast yet. So, (laughs) all right. uh, So day four or day four, round four, day two. Day four of the LVO. Day four of the LVO. (laughs) We're still playing Warhammer. Water running out. Not sure who's still alive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve has eaten Jake. Yes. <laughs> Kyle has eaten his own beard. Uh, all right. Uh, so, no, day two, morning and day two, we all went to team breakfast and then got pairings came up halfway through breakfast. And then we just all started looking at, oh, who are we getting to? And you went to, it went into a gentleman named Lane Brenneman. Who was running orcs, which That's is right. one of the worst matchups, I think, for orcs is going into Death Watch. Uh, yes, um, I, it's, it's quite interesting because um, Lane was quite confident. And I don't know whether this was just um, a good, like, just an attitude to have. And I think I quite respected that was that he was quite confident in it. But I couldn't tell. Maybe it's a English-American kind of thing. I couldn't tell whether he was actually genuinely very confident in the matchup because maybe he'd beaten Marines before. Orcs, very good. They did very well at LVO. Um, but this particular build is horrendous for Orcs because um, I am leaning in on Armor of Contempt with two up saves everywhere. Um, and I have a lot of shots. Yeah, his, his I mean, he was playing the Goffs list, but mm-hmm. he had Gaz. He had um, Boss Zagstruck, which is a name character yeah. I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it's a jump um, pack um, golf character. Quite popular, actually, in the golf list because he okay. can advance essentially 18 inches and then kill things. He's quite good, actually. It's really, okay. really good. Uh, then he had a war boss and a war bike, a weird boy, mm-hmm. uh, two squads of 10 B-Snagger boys, three squads of 10 Gretchen, mm-hmm. um, a squad of Commandos, a squad of Mega Knobs, two, three squads of Squig Hog boys, and then yep. a battle wagon, and, of course, the two kill rigs. Yep. which are sort of ubiquitous on most orc lists now because mm-hmm. uh, the kill rigs are so strong. But um, so my question first, how many times did you use the death watch anti overwatch or the, the death watch overwatch strat against orcs? Did you need to zero 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 times? I'm uh, afraid. Yeah. You just, just didn't need it. Didn't need it. It's oh. not, yeah. Sadly, it's not worth TCP when you can like interrupt combat or get an extra attack against aliens. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, 
Sorry, Dave. I don't, oh, I don't think I actually used any any of the Xenos. Well, yeah, that's, and that's good information for me. Like, you know, I, a lot of people see Death Watch and, you know, I mean, I've played it orcs a couple times with my Death Watch and I only used mm. that strat once, but I was always like, it sounds really good, but then it's 2CP. Do I really yeah. want to yeah. The only one I did use was the extra tech. Yeah, am I really going to kill enough models to shorten and then they, you know, it's minus two to their charge range. Am I really going to stall out their charge because of that? Like, that's where you're, maybe if they're doing a nine or 10 inch charge and you want to make yeah. sure they don't make it. Yeah. But other than that, maybe it's not worth, but. Um, yeah. All right, so how'd the game go? Um, so fortunately, I've got quite a good knowledge of orcs. Um, and also, fortunately, we were playing on abandoned sanctuaries, which meant his commando unit couldn't deploy anywhere forward. Um, and all the objectives were within reach of both of us. Yeah. Um, so I got first turn, um, and I had a plan, and it involved the 3CP stratagem to auto-wound on hits. Um, I put the army into Imperial Fists, because with the army renown, I can pick a chapter tactic for my army for each right. battle round. Imperial Fist is exploding sixes with bolt weapons and ignoring the benefits of cover. Um, now... Right. Quite cleverly, Lane had put both of his uh, kill rig and his battle wagon in dents um, mm-hmm. in order to get minus one to hit, but obviously with uh, Imperial Fist, I ignored that. I teleported the Brick of Gravis units um, onto an objective on the right, and I proceeded to split my unit's shots into the kill rig and the battle wagon, and I picked them both up. Ah, all right. At which point, I think we probably both realized that this game was going to be quite tough for the Orcs. Yeah. Um, however, I did receive an absurd amount of advance and charges the turn after, uh, with a 12-inch on the dice charge from a kill rig in the middle, um, picking up some Hellblasters. Um, my opponent had actually deployed Gaz in line of sight, so I had some pot shots with Hellblasters and did take four wounds off him early. Okay. Because um, it's really important with wound cap characters to just try and get those wounds early so right. that later in the game you could you know you can deal with them. Um as the game progressed the, the big Gravis unit got charged by um Mega Nobs, five Mega Nobs, um a unit of the the pig riders, squig squig the squig, squig hogs. That's it, yeah. squig hogs. Um and a unit of well a mostly destroyed unit of beast snaggers. And uh, I think he killed about three or four models. Without a five up feeling of pain, most of the two up save. Right. Yeah, it was pretty silly. And in return, I I, I killed quite a few things, Squeakhog boys and, and all of the beast snaggers in that one in his turn. Yeah. And then the and game that, kind and of that Gravis that Gravis unit, because it has the uh inceptor in it, it can fall back and shoot. It can, yes. Uh, and this was uh something I heavily debated um uh in in that in that game in the turn afterwards. Um what followed um, was um, oh he did charge with the killer claw orc war boss that fights on death and rerolls everything and mm. he charged with Zagstruck and Gazgul made a charge as well into one of my Costello style kill teams feels weird saying it myself um, and uh, he killed most of most of it but he left three or four models alive which is basically all my units are designed to do because those three or four models still kick out the same amount of damage um, and then. I basically, in my turn, I made sure to hit back and kill the biker war boss in his turn with my surviving models. In my turn, I tried to avoid Gaz getting into combat with me. I killed the kill rig by making it fight last using the 
uh, unique stratagem available to the Watchmaster that only works on vehicles. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, the Clavis, I think it's called. Clavis, yeah, the Clavis something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, nobody's ever seen it before, but trust me, I'm going to use it if it's available. Right. Uh, and then I charge into the Mega Knobs um, and a unit of Gretchen with uh, another kill team. And frankly, it was a, a slaughter. Um, and the game went kind of downhill from there. Gazkul did have a, a last stand and um, fought on death to actually pick up the entire Gravis kill team, what was remaining from it. Ouch. Uh, which was very impressive. And I'm actually kind of glad it happened because it sort of offset the, the brutality of the game. All right, cool. And so then that game, uh, final score was ninety-five forty-nine. Ninety-five forty-nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so then you went into Todd Plord. Mm-hmm. Todd, I apologize if I mispronounce your name. And he was playing Votan. Votan. That's Votan. right. Votan. Mm. Yes, the dreaded Votan that have to be keep being nerfed. Yeah. So and I you have... won this game ninety to thirty. <laughs> okay, so there's a few Ouch. bits of justification here. Go for it. The Votan I've never played before competitively. Um, so if you're playing against them competitively, and I know about this Ymir build, two land fortresses, twelve bikes. Um, I think it was fifteen berserks, and I'm like, okay, this is probably going to be an incredibly difficult game. These beams, I haven't seen them in action, but from what I've heard, I know they're going to really, really hurt. Um, so if I go second here, I'm in a lot of trouble. However, if I go first, I have the tools to kill all of the bikes because I could spend three command points to auto wound with my 59 bike, uh, 59 bolter shots, and then the hell blasters can an- annihilate another unit. All right, even with the through the invun because we've got so many shots. Um, fortunately, I didn't have to worry because I did go first. Um, unfortunately, as well, Todd sadly not familiar with the Death Watch Army Renown which I guess most people probably aren't because it's such a unique army. Right. Um, he deployed on the line with his army. Oh, yeah. And he'd, he'd screened his land fortresses by putting the bikes in front of them, which was like, okay, that's great because I actually want to kill the bikes. Right. The bikes are the bigger threat than the land fortresses because they've they got obstacles. Like mission. And, yeah. Exactly. Um, so I went first, um, did the auto wounds chat, killed eight bikes. Um, so I split the fire across two squads. The Hellblasters advanced, uh, and I went White Scars across the army, so I didn't take any penalties to hit for advancing and shooting. And they killed the other unit of bikes, at which point I was pretty happy with where I was in the game. Um, and uh, I think Todd probably started to realize that he'd made a mistake deploying on the line. Um, and then I tagged both land fortresses with two different melee units. Uh, done a couple of wounds. Um, turn after that, the Berserks got involved, killed a few of my models. I killed all of them in return. Um, and it kind of went downhill from there, but by God, I have to say the, uh, the land fortresses kick out a lot of damage because, uh, one of them was just driving around annihilating stuff. Oh yeah. Um, which is why the score sadly was quite low for the Votan was because I couldn't take my foot off the accelerator because this single, these land fortresses could just annihilate stuff, um, and, uh, get points at the end of the game through the, um, secondary where you put down markers and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, that was pretty rough on the Votan, that one. Yeah. Uh, but I was happy to, to get the win uh, against such a powerful shooting army. Okay. Um, and then last but not least, uh, you went into Imperial Knights, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, John Camacho. And final score on this was U97, Imperial Knights 62. Mm-hmm. Um, Imperial Knights are, a, are a, a weird matchup for Death Watch because you don't have anything particularly geared towards taking them out, but you've got so many Thunder Hammers that you can just literally Empire Strikes Back those things and just take them out, take their legs yeah. out from under them. By God, those Thunder Hammers did some work. Um, and the auto wound strat as well, surprisingly. So this was a really interesting game. Uh, Joe was a pleasure to play. Um, was it Joe or John? I hate forgetting people's names at events. Yeah. Um, it but was. He, he was a great guy. Great to play. Um, I could see John. He was very tactical. Um, and I deployed the terrain exactly as you should against knights, trying to create these lanes, move block things, hold an objective. I placed the first piece, which was a giant ruin in the middle, because that's what you do. Right. Um, and he had the, the knight that he had a Castellan with this stratagem that turns all of his sixes to wounds, do the mortals equivalent to the damage characteristic of the weapon. I didn't have enough space to hide my entire army. So I had one Proteus kill team sat out that could be shot if he went first. He did go first. He proceeded to fire this knight. He rolled a six to wound with his volcano cannon. And then rolled a six for the damage and did 14 mortal wounds straight away. <laughs> and then he proceeded to do enough mortal wounds to just wipe the squad. Ouch. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. I, I, I literally, I, I glossed over it. I was like, that's done deal. Um, it, literally nothing I could do about that. Uh, so they're gone. Play the game how you can. Uh, and then this next one actually made it into our What's the Play series on YouTube members. Um, so he placed one armager, a Helverin in the middle to tag an objective. Um, and so what I did is I advanced, charged, moved a unit up, but I only put the biker within an inch of the war dog, sorry, the armager, uh, and the rest of the unit out of an inch so they couldn't fight. And that meant I didn't kill the Helverin, but I piled in and wrapped the Helverin and therefore couldn't be shot in the next turn by the horrible mortal wound uh, strap. Further to that, in the same turn, I teleported the Gravis squad and did the 3CP strat, um, fired all their bolt guns at um, a, a big knight, big knight with the sword and the melter, the errant, I believe. Mm. Um, uh, he got lucky with a six at Field of Pains and it had one wound remaining. That's right. Gravis squad with bolters took a knight down to one wound. Which, I mean, and they and the, 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 the thing about the knights is they bracket pretty substantially, yeah. so he, that almost neuters that night yeah. yeah absolutely um and then from there it was like a very much go back and forth game actually um a few key moments his castellan he stood it back up on a four up roll which was frustrating wow um because that is yeah just never happens uh, and then of course he spent a cp to just full bracket it as well because it was right. a mechanicus night um so it just got its full power towards the end of the game um, thankfully, with my wrapping and trapping and holding objectives with obsec, I was able to win the game, ninety-seven uh, sixty-two. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, um, a lot of people would look at that as, "Oh, you didn't win LVL," mm. um, and and be very frustrated and stomp their feet and want to take their toys and go home. Yeah. What's What's your feeling of going five and one at the Las Vegas Open? I mean, obviously over the moon with it. Five on one with 
the army of brown this unique thing that i've been using for so long um yeah super happy with it because it's it kind of shows exactly what i want to show about the hobby and with vanguard tactics that you don't have to use the best army that's out there the meta army you could make your army into an absolute tool of destruction if you know it well enough right and i've obviously i've had a year of using this army and i know it in and out and i took it to five and one at the biggest event in the world and i'm so happy to have done that because i think anybody honestly anybody that spends enough time learning their army can get themselves to fantastic results as shown by i'm sure plenty of the other five and one um, players out there yeah absolutely and and this also just goes also to show that um you familiarity with the list because nobody picked death watch to do anything at lvo you know most people disregard death watch and it's it comes down to the skill of the pilot and it comes down to, to familiarity with your with your list and with what your faction can do you knew what strats to use and what and when to just you were holding cp for certain strats that were more valuable yeah and everybody else might have people less familiar would have just been throwing out their cp for ones and twos or maybe building to max out warlord traits and relics because you could start with zero cp with death watch and have easily. <laughs> a couple of characters just straight pimped out yeah so um what did you um did your librarian did he have any warlord traits or relics no none no. and uh, so your watchmaster any warlord traits and relics Nice and easy. So the only so you you had the warlord trait and relic on your chaplain on bike, mm-hmm. and then you had the the extra the relic sergeant. on your yeah the gravis sergeant yeah. had a relic, and that was yeah. it. That's where your three pregame CP went. Yeah. So that you know a lot of people see oh I need to go hog wild on making these characters ridiculous, and the reality is, is especially with something like the with death watch even without mm-hmm. the army of renown, yeah, is still very strong. And they have a lot of good strats you want to save your CP for. So exactly. All right. So yeah. All right. Um, and Army of Renown is did they extend it or is the Army of Renown is now out of the game? It's out of the game, sadly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of my farewell, I think, to Death Watch um, for some time. I should note actually that um, I did win Global Best Death Watch Player. Oh, uh, congrats for for the season. Thank you. That's two and years in a row. Yeah, two years in a row, and I was able to pick it up in person this time, which was obviously magical. Um, and yeah, super happy with that. And I'm, obviously, I've got the, the two trophies now. Um, and I think, I think it's probably time to pass the torch. I'd yeah, I'd like to win a trophy for something else. I think. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I I fully expect to see uh, you picking up a trophy next year at LVO for uh, um, something uh, for for Astromel Terum. Hope so. So. Anyway, all right. Um, also, seeing that, and and there's nothing against the Votan player you played, but seeing as how you skunked him and he only got thirty points on that game makes you feel better about some of my scores because I was it's, like, oh, I just kept losing and kept losing, but I actually didn't lose too terribly. I mean, my worst loss was that first game in a thousand suns, and I lost a hundred to forty-seven, and I had no models left at the end of turn three. Forty-seven so, is your worst loss. 47 is my worst loss. Um, and then I only, my round two, I had a fantastic game. I got to do a shout out. Ian Wright, if you hear this, dude, you were a fantastic player. I had a great game against you. He had um, Leviathan Nids, 
Yeah. And I only lost by three points. Oh, very happy. I was very cool. happy with how I played that game. I was very happy. We had a, we had a really a fun game. Um, let me ask you this. And this is, I'm not to my horn, my own horn at all. This is mm-hmm. for those people that think my ego is that big. Uh, it is, but not about this. Um, the, <laughs> so there was one situation, one of the, the, I forget what terrains that we were on, but there was one of those tall, um, narrow pieces of terrain. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he took his hive tyrant that had gotten into my backfield and 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 yeah. had picked up one squad of my warriors, but was about to get obliterated by the second squad that he couldn't quite. I had kept yeah. him just out of range so they couldn't pile in. Yeah, he fell back and hid behind um, uh, the piece of terrain so that right. the basically the the model the the terrain was wide enough to cover his entire base and the core set of his mm. the, the 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 torso of his model. Yeah. But the wings were sticking out on both sides. Yeah. And at one point he goes, and I was like, all right, well, I can't get to them. I'm not going to try to charge your, ty- your hive tyrant and I'm not going to shoot at him. He's like, you can see him. You can see the wings. The wings are sticking out. And I yeah. said, yeah, but I can't draw a line to any part of your base. And I'm not going to play this game because, oh, I can see your wings. I just didn't want to play that way. And maybe I was mm-hmm. handicapping myself a little too much. Maybe I should have, yeah. because he only had a few wounds left and I could have probably maybe taking him off the board, maybe not. I chose not to. Oh, what? And, and, and I think this, this is a game that I, this is an issue that I've had for most of ninth edition. Yeah. When you have the tip of a power sword stip, and I know this is obviously more than the tip of a power sword, but mm-hmm. when you have the tip of a power sword sticking out of cover or you have the barrel of a gun sticking out, yeah. you know, is that something that do you think it, that you should say, well, I can see you, I can see the tip of this so I can shoot it. Is that a rule that you normally follow or is this? So competitively, the rule I abide to personally is so long as it's not something like an aerial or something that wouldn't. Just like a random antenna. Yeah, like an antenna. um, Something that wouldn't, to me, impact anything. Then I'm happy to shoot. You know, if a gun's hanging around a corner, then I'll shoot the gun. The wings are hanging around the corner. I shoot the wings. Uh, I like to imagine that actually that would probably impact um, the efficacy of that unit. Right. If you um, put if you put holes yeah. in a in a creature's wings, you're going to hurt it. Yeah. yeah. But it depends what army you're playing because if you've got an army that has aerials and antennas, people are going to shoot them. Um, so you kind of have to just deal with it. Uh, I guess it depends on what you're what you're expecting from other players at the event, uh, really. But it is a pet peeve of mine. Um, that you can shoot models, aerials, and and bits. Yeah, yeah. That's why I, I sort of my and I told I told Ian I was like, yeah, but realistically, if this was a fight, the hive tyrant would be tucking its wings in and hiding. And as long as I can't draw a line over any part of your base, I don't think I have the right to shoot you. It's not your fault that the model is built with these giant wings hanging out. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to play it that way. So, and it wasn't going to, I don't think it would have affected the score anyway, because that mm-hmm. wasn't, I, w- I didn't take assassinate or anything that wasn't going to score me points. I w- needed to score my points elsewhere anyway. Yeah. So could it have made a difference? It was, I don't know, Probably. it was turn three or four. Maybe, but maybe not. Not going to. It's fine. You know, yeah. The thing is you stuck to your, um, what's it? Your, um, what's the word? Not morals, but you know what I mean? Yeah. My, my game ethics. Yeah, I stuck and, to my game um, ethics and I was like, all right, this is, yeah. So anyway, I had a, that was my closest game, uh, my closest loss. I only lost by three points. I was totally happy with how the game turned out. Yeah. 
Um, I don't have my score for my lap for my third game. I know I got smoked pretty badly. Um, I went into um, Bellacore Demons, but he was he had every named greater demon. Oh yeah, Shalaxi and and Kairos Fightweaver, Kairos and uh, what's his name, the Scarbrand, Scarbrand and yeah, and then Bellacore, and, and then what's the um, Fatty McSludge Pants? What's his name? Oh right. Um, uh, uh, I don't remember. Nobody cares. Pus got <laughs> whatever his name is, the bile something, the greater yeah. the Nurga one. And then he had two squads of, uh, he had a squad of um, blood letters, I think, and a squad of mm-hmm. uh, demons or something. He just left those on the back to hold objectives. And then I just had five giant greater demons in my face. And I actually killed three of them. But anyway, I, but he, I ended up just, there were so many, again, so many mortal wounds that I could do mm-hmm. nothing about. So got tabled by the end of, I think, turn four. and. Not an enjoyable game, uh, you know. I won't call its person out, but it was it was my least enjoyable game. It wasn't an enjoyable game at all because my opponent was kind of it had nothing to do with his play style. He was playing his game, but he was just whining and complaining and everything, and just being grumpy the whole game. It's like, yeah, you know, go go get a drink, get some caffeine, yeah. do something. I know it's it's yeah. the end of day one, but you don't have to be a grouchy whiner. Get over yourself. Let's we're here to have play a game. Let's have some fun. So it was my I was very happy by the end of that. I was very happy for the game to just be over because I was just not having a fun time. Um, and then uh, day day two, not day four, day two, round four. <laughs> almost did it again. Day two, round four. I lost seventy five sixty five into uh, chaos Space. It was an Emperor's Children build. Um, and uh, yeah, but it was a it was also a oh no. Yes, it was an Emperor's Children build, um, but he had some, he had a, he did not have a Baden, and he had a, he actually had a cool, um, he had a uh, Mauler Fiend in his list, which I thought was really cool. That's cool. So that thing actually did eventually get into my lines and and did a little bit of damage because he just, he kept it out until like turn four when he just Mm. hit it because he just moved behind terrain and got it into a good position. And I had other things I needed to take out like the Terminator brick in the middle of the table. Yeah. So uh, we had a really good game. I only lost that one by 10. And then I had a, I had a bad game with a lot of bad dice into sisters. And then my last game I won playing into sisters, 89, 84. So um, I had some, I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot about my list. Obviously I have to make a couple changes because of the points yeah. changes and all that. So next yeah. time I play Botan, um, going to have to do a little swap around on my list, but I had a really good time. I had a great time hanging out with, with the team and Likewise. staying in the house and all of our meals together and all that. So yeah. Yeah. It was a LVO is a fantastic experience um, for those who can make it, whether you're in the UK, Australia, Poland, mm-hmm. Mexico, Canada, wherever, or even if you're in a foreign country like West Virginia, um, yeah. you should, you should see about coming to an ITC um, yeah. event Agreed. and yeah, they're all really no, good. I'm, I will be at Lone Star for sure. Um, I've yeah. already blocked off that weekend from work. So f- for me to sum it up, I would say the first time, I did an event in the US. I went for the event and the holiday. Yeah. Second time I go will be for the people. And yeah. I think that's that's, you know, that's how it's going to be in the future. Yeah. Yeah, the really the 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 highlight for me of of the whole weekend was finally getting to meet you and Jake in person. I mean, we've been yes. talking for 2 years and finally we got to meet in person and got to sit and hang out and shoot yeah. the breeze and all that. So, um yeah. Absolutely. It is for the people. It is for getting out and socializing and seeing and, and gathering around and talking to all of the people that we 
know in this hobby. You know, I got I I like meeting some of the other content creators too. I got mm-hmm. to meet a couple of times. I went over to the Marvel Crisis Protocol Hall and I met one of the content creators for MCP that I listened to. And uh, yeah, it's it is such a great yeah. event. Um, I got to see other friends that I, I there I saw people there from Georgia that I that I see at local events here. So I actually my last game. I ended up playing on the table right next to a friend of mine who I see at events here all the time, just by complete happenstance. So, um, who is also now a VT student. So, oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, he and his yeah, girlfriend are perfect. both VT students. So they we 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 sold them. Sean and I got them. We're like, you need to do nice. this. So, nice. um, uh, all right. I do have one more special shout out to do. Yeah, go for um, it. And this is to um, Jake and Mike from um, Black Rabbit Gaming. Oh, absolutely. Uh, who shaper owned us around, helps us so much with logistics, even some bedding, um, and showed us a, a really good time um, for the whole the whole week. So, um, yeah, massive love to you guys. Um, yes. So much. Thanks so much for that. Yeah. Mike, and you, yeah. and Mike, Mike was also um, a huge uh, savior because I would have been murdered by my wife because when I packed up her army, I forgot five battle sisters. <laughs> when I, I left five models on the table when I was packing everything up before we headed to the airport and we got there and we unpacked everything and we're gluing back together, of course, all the things that broke in transit. And we realized she was short five sisters and Mike was able to come to the rescue and, and loan us out five extra painted battle sisters so she could play her games. So um, huge shout out to Mike and uh, Jake from Black Rabbit Gaming. If you're in Vegas, go check out Black Rabbit Gaming. Um, I understand I didn't get to see their shop, but I guess they've got a really cool store. Um, I don't actually know if they've got. I thought they, I thought they said they had a shop. Or no. Just have a no, studio, right? Or is it just they, a studio? I think it might oh. be an online store. I've got a bunch of their stickers and and, and stuff. Okay, um, well, check out Black Rabbit yeah. Gaming wherever check you're out at. Black check Rabbit them out. Gaming. Yeah, um, Mike and Jake are are absolute legends. So, um, yeah, and huge shout out to all the people. First off, Frontline Gaming for putting on a great event. Kicker is an absolute legend and one of the nicest human beings you could ever possibly meet. That guy works his ass off and never complains. Yeah. I love Kicker. He is one of the top 10 best human beings I've ever met. Um, also, shout out to Red Pal and, and uh, Paul Murphy and the um, Forge the Narrative crew. I ran into every single one of them and got to say hi to them all, uh, which was cool. I also got to meet JT McDowell from Play on Tabletop, who after we met, we ran into each other uh, <laughs> on the way to the bathroom um, and, uh, and, and talked after the last game on, on Sunday and uh, had a really great conversation. That guy's an absolute gentleman, and I can't wait to to talk to him more. So, yeah. So it was. A, it is an absolute wonderful event. It's you. You go for the people. The games yeah. are tertiary. Yeah. So, um. Anyway, um. I think we're gonna do another episode and just talk about sportsmanship in general. We can talk about things like the Tyranid wings and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. um. We'll, we will talk about. I know because Steve wants to do a bigger talk about abusive sportsmanship and when it gets goes right. too far and all that. So, but we're going to save that for another episode. Um, Yeah. So with that, um, I got one more shout out. I got to thank Dan Wolf games. It's Wolf W U L F. Um, Dan is a friend of mine and he has running a shop. Now he has his own store in Griffin, Georgia. So if you're anywhere in the Atlanta, South Atlanta area, please go check out Dan Wolf games in Griffin. Dan's got a great shop. He's running events uh, for 40 K and several other things. Kill team MCP. and he's where I actually got a lot of my Votan stuff uh, that I was having trouble getting from anywhere else. So uh, please go check out Dan's shop. He's a friend of mine. He's a really cool guy. Um, and with that, we're going to turn this over to um, James from Siege Studios for our Battle Ready segment. 
All right, James, welcome back for another segment of Battle Ready here on the Competitive 40K Podcast. Uh, our question for this week is, um, what's the best way to paint uh, those gun barrel tips for things that are, that are superheated metal, like for melted guns, plasma guns, things like that? Yeah, no, it's, it's an awesome effect. Really, really easy to execute. Um, there's various ways of doing it. So you can do it with a brush. It does take longer. Um, but if you have an airbrush, this is going to help you massively. Um, first things first, reference. Uh, use Google Images, get some heat bloom or heat damaged items. Like look at things that, that would have that motorbike exhausts and car exhausts. Well, chrome or metallic exhausts are really, really good examples of that. It shows you lovely transitional colors. Um, so use that first of all. Um, typically like on a melter weapon, the end of the barrel is going to be more darker towards black as if like a buildup of soot or cordite or whatever it is that's obviously coming out of the barrel. Um, and that tends to sort of, sort of build up and crack off and you'll get like a fresh kind of paint or the fresh metal tone at the very end. So you can always sort of like sponge a bright silver or, or barrel color onto the end of the black at the end. But to get the nice transition, we're looking at high first things first blocking a really bright super bright silver on the barrel to start off with you can do brass and stuff like that brass and copper is quite a weak material so barrels typically aren't made out of that they're made out of steel um or polished polished chromium um so typically uh you you want to bright put it in silver then you get a varying degree of inks you can you, you can use contrast paints through the airbrush they work extremely well but you really want like more of a of a, a yellow tone to start off with you then want like a sepia maybe like an agrax then you choose a, a, a spot color so we either go like down the route of blue or purple like a like a motorbike exhaust and then we do black on the end just a black paint and we sponge that black paint on with a sponge rather than airbrush obviously and then we'd sponge on some silver again again you want to leave you want to create a transition so you want to do the first thing is obviously yellow all the way to the end then you start pick a starting point do your sepia move towards the end then you do your agrax move towards the end then you do your your spot color so your purple your blue then you do you get your sponge sponge on the black and then sponge on the silver it's really easy to do um you know and, and it gives you a really nice kind of heat heat damaged heat bloom kind of effect on, on on the model or the barrel all right yeah i uh I, i've been wanting to, i've seen that effect on box art and i've seen it you know done even better like on the stuff that you guys do when you post on instagram i've seen it done really well and i'm like how do they do that i want to do Myself. it's 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 a really fun technique to do it's a really really fun thing to actually have a have a go at executing it's it's it's, it's quite good um but but as i said like you know have fun with it you know and pick your colors pick your pick your use reference there's so many colors on heat bloom you can again motorbike exhausts are one of the best places to have a look awesome cool thanks very much man no all worries. right uh ladies and gentlemen if you have any questions for james uh for a future battle ready segment go on the competitive 40k podcast uh facebook page and uh and drop us a question, and we will try to get it answered uh, by James in a future segment. All right. Thank you, James. That is it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much again for giving us your time and your attention. Uh, I'm not sure what we're doing next, but I, I know we definitely need to talk some more boarding actions with the new Angron book that came out. Yep. And I do want to hear about uh, the, the team event. I think we're going to do an episode also on team events. Um, I think so. I think after, I think after would, you guys come back from this that. one. Yeah. So, yeah, because uh, I actually have questions because I've never been to a team event and I know that they operate a little differently. So we need to talk about that, too. Um, so until that, then, though, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Dave Palmel for Michael Costello saying uh, 10 ought to do it, don't you think? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Have a good week. Have a good week.